All right, so just a quick uh, catch up from the first Bible study till now. Uh, we, we talked about in the book of Acts, first chapter, how this book was written uh, by Luke, who was a medical person. He had that kind of medical background knowledge. He uh, was one to pay attention to details. We learned in chapter 1 that, uh, the, that they had to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come down, that uh, there was a, a time between Jesus dying, rising again, and then when He left before the Holy Comforter would come in the form of the Holy Ghost. And so we studied on them being in that upper room together, and all of a sudden uh, it, it began to happen. So we got into chapter 2 of Acts I believe just a little bit last time, which was the day of Pentecost. And there was, it says, as a mighty rushing wind, as it was, it filled the house, and there were cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So they're in this upper room and this Holy Spirit is filling the place up and it's resting on each and every one of them. And the Bible says that they begin to speak as if they're in, speaking in other languages. Alright? Now, we hear all that story and we just think about it as a story. It happened and here are the events that happened. But I want you to take just a moment and consider they met in the same fashion that we come together here at church and met. They, they had been given a word from the Lord, wait here, tarry here, it's coming, right? right. And so we come to the house of God With what? Because it's a habit? Because we have an expectation? Well, I mean, why? Why do we come to the house of God? Do we expect anything to happen? Do we expect there to be uh, you know, a move of the Spirit? You know, I, I think sometimes we fail to realize these were real people in a real place. You know what I mean? It says that there were you know, several hundred people, men and women, and they were all in one place. The Bible tells me that they're praying, they're they're seeking God and all of a sudden the Spirit comes down and just revival lights them on fire. That you've been in services, we've been in services where, where maybe a few people were excited. Maybe even half of the people were excited. Maybe even more than half. I don't know if we've ever been in a service where everybody there was just full of the Holy Ghost and, and, and just anointed from on high. I don't know that we've seen that very many times. Usually it's a few here and a few there, right? And everybody else is just watching and enjoying the show. That's right. That's just true, right? So imagine, if you will, they're in this upper room. The Spirit descends on them and they are all full. All of them. Yeah, I mean, there's not one that's distracted. There's not one that's attention is elsewhere. There's not one whose life is in sin and they're just keeping it cut. There's not any of that. But everybody is on fire at the same time. 
Imagine that. Imagine it, moment. The Bible says that it was to the point that they all of a sudden started speaking in other languages, un unknown tongues to themselves. The, and listen, and they're not just saying gibberish. They're not just talk. They're, they're speaking about the things of God. That's right. And that's, that's important here as well. But they're not just speaking languages at random. They're speaking languages so that there is a target audience that needs to hear what they have to say. This is really, really, really important because we're studying the book of Acts to understand the early church so that we as the current church... Now, I don't know if y'all understood what that just said, right? We're studying this old church so that we as the current church can do the work that God put us here to do. But you need to understand, you are the church. Like, as, as important as they were then, we could, we could have a book written about us now. That's how important the church is right now still. But we're reading this so that we might understand are there things that we should know, that we should do, that we should be living. So here they're having this service and they're speaking in other languages so that a target audience can hear them. You know, that's really what we should do. We should speak the words that God gives us to speak because there is a target audience that He's trying to get to hear. That's right. That's really important. I mean, that's like a big deal. He has somebody to hear what is said. Just like I believe today that the message was preached because God had a target audience that He wanted to hear that message. I wanted to preach that message at a different time than today. Like he gave me that about three weeks ago. And he said no. Because it wasn't the appropriate time and place to give what he knew who it was intended for. When it was said, I didn't know those things. He knew when they would need that message. He knows exactly. So these people start speaking. And it's just coming out. Now, when people get excited for the Lord, and the Spirit is on them. They don't care what the world thinks, right? So we call it, you know, there's different ways to call it. People shout, people get happy. Lord, you've heard a lot of things. The one thing that they're typically not is just completely quiet. <clears throat> there's some outward expression of what God is doing on the inside. Maybe a hand wave, maybe crying, maybe laughing, maybe shouting, maybe, you know. It might be just a little bit of movement, right? I mean, it's, you're not just going to sit there and be quiet. That's right. You're Because you're full of something that just doesn't really add up with the flesh. It's more than. And so you're going to get excited. You might, might clap your hand. And there's all kinds of things that people do to show the fullness. I want you to understand that. I'm not saying you all have to do it the same way. We don't all express ourselves the same way. But when you're full of the Spirit, you're not going to sit there and quench it. Come on now. That's Bible said, don't do that. you got to let it out. Why? Because it has a work that it needs to do. Amen. So God didn't send the Holy Comforter to us just so that we might feel good. Amen. But it has a work to do. Right? I'm trying to get to a point here. 
They're in this upper room. There's 150, 200, 250, whatever it is. There's over 100. The Bible tells us that. But there's a lot of people in this room of this place. And they all get happy at the same time. Are y'all with me? So if we were to picture that meeting, it's hard for me to see the walls containing what's going on there. Right? I mean, now, somebody gets in the middle of a real revival, you'll hear about it. So, I you know, they was having a revival service. Then. You need to go see what's going on. This would have been one audibly loud to those nearby. In other words, they couldn't go down the street beside the house and not know that something was going on in the house. That's really important because it draws these people in. It draws these people in. Right? So let's read now Acts chapter 2. Verse 6. Now when this was noised abroad, that means when it was shared, when it was talked about, like there's something. I went by there and there was just something going on. It was the craziest thing you ever heard. I mean, they were just preaching and testifying. And, I mean, that's just the happiest people I've ever seen. It says the multitude came together. The people heard it and they wanted to know what was going on. Right? If a house catches on fire, right? People will stop. They want to look. They want to see, right? We, we, that's what happens. So, the Holy Spirit has lit these people on fire, if you will, with the Spirit, and people want to know what's going on. People want to see what's going on out there. What, what's happening? It's causing all that to go on. And so it says. Uh, they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? In other words, they should have all spoke the same language, the same dialect, the same way. They're all from this one particular community. They should sound the same. But that's not what's happening. And he goes on and he says in verse 8, And how we, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Persia and Paphilia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya and Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongue the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? All right, so the Bible's real clear that there's a whole bunch of people there. That's really important because we need to go back to chapter one and remember what is the church all about. The church is all about. You're going to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ starting here, going here, and going here, right? Remember that from last week. That's the point of the church is that we might spread the gospel. The Jews messed up because they read the Old Testament and they saw the coming of the Messiah as one-time event. But it's not a one-time event. He had to first come, give His life, die on the cross, 
then he returns for his people. They miss the church age, which happens between point A and point B. And, and so the Bible is trying to make clear to us in the book of Acts that there is a responsibility of the church to spread the gospel. And it's about to go even deeper into that point. There were some there that mocked them and said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Alright, this is a big point right here. This is the first sermon, the first sermon since the Holy Spirit. Right? The preaching, preaching today, there is a difference between preaching in the Spirit and preaching without it. There's a difference. And if you're in tune with the Spirit, you can tell the difference. And you're just like, I just don't know what's going on. I just don't... Mm-hmm. I like him. He's a nice guy. But... Right? I mean, I'm just, that's a very honest thing. There's a difference between preaching in the Spirit and not preaching in the Spirit. And so, this is the first message where somebody starts preaching in the Spirit. Now, I say that to you and I make that point to you because wouldn't it be interesting for us to know what's the first thing that God wanted preached? Oh. All of a sudden, this got a little bit heavier. All of a sudden, this got more important to it, didn't it? Just, Just in that moment, when you realize that this is the first message that was given by God to be preached to mankind by the Spirit, what is it that He wanted preached? So let's look at it. All right. So he stands up and he says, Hearken to my words. Verse 15. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Uh, That would be nine in the morning. The way that they calculated time was at sunrise. So 6 a.m. generally being sunrise, three hours after 6 a.m. would be 9 a.m. Only an absolute drunkard would be drunk at nine in the morning, right? That was common knowledge even to them. And so he's squashing that. You know, this guy's already, already the devil's trying to find a way and to, to, to cut the message of the church short. Already, he's got somebody in the crowd. There are just a bunch of drunks out there. That's right. Well, what is it today? They're just a bunch of do-gooders and a bunch of holy rollers, sanctified, whatever they say they are. They ain't worth anything. I mean, what do they do today? It's not indifferent. Oh, they act better than all of us. Same thing, right? So the, the devil already's got his guy he's trying to shut it down, right? Trying to stop it. And so he's, he, he, he cuts that off pretty quickly and says, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. There must be something else going on here. And those people who God had assembled, remember, they just come off the street. He assembled them. Then can hear what He has to say. Verse 16, But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And if you go to the book of Joel, to the second chapter, the 28th through the 32nd verse, you don't have to turn there. 
because the next few verses we read are nearly, nearly, they're not exactly verbatim, but they're nearly the same words. But if you want to check, Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. So he says in verse 17, verses uh, 17 through 21, that is the scripture that matches up with the book of Joel. Verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. First part of his message. First part. This first message by the Holy Spirit. First part of the message is there is coming an end to this. The Lord is going to return. The Lord is going to return. That was something that they had heard, but what they believed is that the Messiah would come and He would overthrow the Roman Empire and He would set up a kingdom. That's really what they hoped for at that time. They had no idea what it really meant for a Messiah to come. They had no idea what it really meant to go to heaven and to have those things. And so He begins to speak about this time. What time? This time. The time from Jesus' resurrection to Jesus' return. The time he just described that Joel described is this time. Right now. You're saying, well now, that Bible's really old. Yeah. The last days have been going on for about 2,000 years. And you say, well how is that the last days? Well can I say to you this? The last days are the only days in which man can find salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if you still say, well, that still seems like a really far cry. That seems like a long, long distance. A far. Can I tell you that God is eternal? And 2,000 years to Him is nothing. Nothing. Now, I believe we're in the last, last days. What do you, why do you say that? Well, I'm just saying, based on the Scriptures and what it tells us, it just appears that all of the things He said would happen are happening or have already happened. I mean, just majorly so. And even if you don't believe me and say, well, I'm just not sure. It's been 2,000 years and it could be another 2,000 years. Well, I can tell you this. We're a day closer today than we were yesterday. And the Bible tells me that no man know the day nor the hour, but I can tell you, you're a day closer. I believe it's sooner than later. Uh, and we shall see. But the first message preached as the church was first, there is coming an end. Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not only did he preach to them that this thing is going to come to an end, he preached, there is a Savior though, who can help you escape. So, we got a good, we got a good start to this message. Let's go a little bit further with it. And he goes on, and then says, verse 22, 
Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Now already we can see here that there's a pattern, right? He's preaching that Christ, that the world will end, that Christ is the way of salvation. And he begins then to explain to them Jesus Christ. He says, you're the ones that put him on the cross. You're the ones that that put him there. You know, now he's reminding them, of what he has already done. So that's a really good point to make right here is that they saw signs and wonders by Christ. And if they didn't see them, they heard about it from people who did see it. Right? So one of his first proofs uh, when he, he's going to go through a whole section here. He's proving his point, right? So he, even, even way back then, they were using points to try to get across the Word of God. And so he tells them, he says, you know this, you have heard about it. So today when we witness the people, right? When we witness the people, they, they weren't alive during the time of Christ. We weren't in time, alive during the time of Christ. So how is it that we convince them or share with them or show them that He is real and that He was really there. Well, they can't, uh, they can't go back and witness those miracles and wonders. They can't go back and see those things. But what they can do is they can see the miracles and wonders that happen through us. There's a twofold process here. One, the Holy Spirit can make it real in their heart. And number two, they have the testimony of the saints. That's us. You say, I don't feel like a saint. Well, it ain't because of you, it's because of Him. But you ought to live like one. Oh, uh oh. Oh, me, oh, my. Yeah. Why? Because it's important. So that when the world looks at you, they see His hand at work. So I was with a, a young man this past week who, in my opinion, needs the Lord. And I began to testify and witness to him. I had him as a hell captive because he was in my vehicle with me. He couldn't go nowhere. Right? And I, I'd already told myself, He's mine for the next 20 minutes. And I began to talk to him and to share with him. And he began to ask questions, but how do you know? And you know what I got to tell him? Because I'm a living example. Because look what the Lord has done in my life. Look how He has blessed me. Look how He has brought me through this and this. I can show you His signs and His wonders. Now, I could not do that 
if I was not faithful to Him. Because He'd call me a hypocrite. He'd do just like the crowd said. He's a drunkard. He's a liar. That's what He did. Right. If you don't stand firm, then you cannot be that living example. And so, he's, He begins to talk to these people and He begins to tell them, here's why He is Christ and you should believe Him. Some people say that Peter's message here is a four-proof four-proof message. I say it's a five-proof message, not a four-proof message. I think there are five things that jump out. I'm going to share them with you right now. Number one, he says in verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou hast made me full of joy with thy countenance. Number one, he takes them back to somebody that they looked up to. And he takes them to David. If you look in the book of Psalms in the 16th chapter and the 8th through the 11th verse, you're going to find that exact wording that I just read to you. Because David said, Lord, I trust in you. I know that these things he was saying. He says, David spoke concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. In other words, he was saying, David, your forefather, who you're putting all your hope and trust in, trusted that the Lord would rise from the dead. And so he, what I'm trying to tell you is just in his message, he used things that he knew they understood. So he went back to David, went back to the father, uh, their father, their forefather. All right, then verse 29, he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. And he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Number two. His second point is, we are witnesses. So there's 150, 200 people there, right? So one of the greatest witnesses of Jesus Christ today is the church. The fact that the church still exists 2,000 years after its inception, still preaching the same gospel, the same Jesus today that it did 2,000 years ago is a testament that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He did rise from the dead. Think about this. How many other things do you know that would survive history, time, for 2,000 years. 
with the fact that on every hand it is being stood against. I can tell you right now, if we decided we wanted to do something different and the world didn't agree with it, it wouldn't last two weeks. So you try something at you at your work. Try to get something going. Alright, we're gonna do this ever. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a morning time. We're all gonna say nice things about each other. At six o'clock every morning we're gonna say nice things about each other. It'll last two weeks and then then nobody show up. Y'all don't talk about it. I mean this will happen. How in the world could this thing last? He says we're witnesses to it. And so the fact that the church stands today is a perfect testimony that Jesus Christ is real. It's not just a story. It's not just something made up. If the world wants to say that this is just a fairy tale passed down by men, ask them how come, how come we don't believe in other fairy tales that have existed? How come this is the story that persisted? How come the Word of God, the most printed book in the world, how come it has existed all this time? I, I like fairy tales, you know. Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and all those. Those are old stories. But we don't adopt them as religion. How come the church has continued to thrive and to grow in spite of the persecution in some places where you're killed to have a Bible? How come? Because we're witnesses. We're witnesses. So he tells them, he said, we have been eyewitnesses. The other part of his message also comes from who he is. Peter himself is standing before them and he is compelling them. He is compelling them with the Word. Now I want you to see something here that really jumped out to me and maybe the, big, the biggest point I make today. Peter knew the Word of God. Not only did he know the Word of God, he was not afraid to apply it to his personal moment. Here's what I'm saying to you. If you turn back to Acts chapter 1, you're going to see where Peter stands up and he says, Brothers, Judas was one among us and it was foretold. It was foretold that he would do what he would do and another would take his place. Brothers, it's time we do that. This is exactly... I mean, he stood up, said, I've been reading the Word of God. In the book of Psalms, it tells me that he was going to do this to us. And we need somebody to take his place. Let's get together and pray about it. Let's do it. Notice what he did. He took the Word. He knew the Word. And he applied it. Alright? Now what did he just do? He said, let me tell you guys something from the book of Joel. Second time now. We're just two chapters in this book. Peter's quoting two different places already. And he says, let me tell you what the book of Joel says. He reads from the book of Joel. And then he says, let me tell you about David. David knew this. He quotes the book of Psalms again. Are y'all seeing a picture? Peter knew the word. And he was not afraid to say, this word is actually talking to me. 
It's talking to us. I tell you that because part of his message was his testimony. Part of his sermon was, I can tell you this because I know it in my heart that it's real and true. I've lived it. And he brought the word in to make it true. So, so far in the sermon we've had, this world's not going to last. It's going to end. If you call on Jesus, you can be saved. Now let me tell you why Jesus is a risen Savior. He's a risen Savior because the Bible tells me He is. He went back to David. He is a risen Savior because I know He's a risen Savior. He is a risen Savior because all these people right here are eyewitnesses. He is a risen Savior. Alright, let's go a little further. I'll pick it back again at 29. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an, with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost he hath shed forth this which ye now see here stop there so the next proof is the actual events of what's happening this is a supernatural event men are speaking languages they don't know how to speak and not just a few, but many. Not only that, there's a supernatural hearing going on. I don't know if you get 150 people shouting and preaching at the same time, it could be hard to understand what's going on. Except they tell us, but we hear in our languages and understand. And they're explaining the things of God. And we're in awe about this. I'm in awe that you can hear. Right? Think about that. If you get in a large football stadium and you get all those people standing there just screaming, shouting, hollering at the same time and you stand on the field and try to listen to one of them, you can't understand what they're saying because the person beside them is screaming just as loud as they are. So what I'm telling you is that there are supernatural events that the Holy Spirit has come down that place. There's supernatural preaching and supernatural hearing going on. The fact that they can hear exactly what needs to be heard. It happens in church. I'm telling you this. You know it. You all know it. I ain't going to call you out. I ain't going to point fingers at you. But any one of you can be distracted in the middle of preaching. Any one of you can be distracted in the preacher. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that the word sometimes even gets heard. Amen. Now, I can tell you, I know that at the beginning when I step up there, when the Lord comes and saying, I don't care about none of y'all. I love all y'all, but I don't care. I mean, I, I don't know. If, you're not distracting me. I'll say that. Unless I get back inside of Brian and the Lord moves on somewhere else, I don't know it. But I've, there have been plenty of times I stood there like, hmm, this is going to be a hard crowd today. Lord, get them. You know, I, what else do I do? I don't know what else to do. And, but it's amazing to me that in that chaos, 
The Spirit can still speak to your heart and your heart and your heart and your heart. And He can get right. And you can try. You can try to ignore Him. And Jason Elbert trying to be bad and the Lord just saying, you listen to this. <laughs> right? Like He just gets all over you. He sends His Word where it needs to go and ain't a thing you can do about it. Now you can turn your back on Him. But you're, that's between you and the Lord. That's between you and Him. But you'll know He was speaking to you. And so that supernatural here is going on. So the event, He says, look what's happening. There's 150 people here filled with the Holy Spirit. They can't contain themselves. Now I'm about to make a really good point for church. Okay, For church. We're trying to learn about church. If you quench that Spirit, you've taken away one of the proofs. Are y'all with me? When God's working in somebody's heart in the church, like He is working on this heart, and you're over there and you're supposed to testify or sing that song or wave that hand or get up and jump or whatever it is, if you don't do it, they missed the proof. Are y'all with me? They missed it. This message, He says, here's the proof. Look, look around you sinners. And see what God is doing. Look at this. They couldn't deny the Spirit. I've seen places where you know, man, that's just that's as fake as it can be. But I've been in services and you couldn't deny that God was there. I don't have a problem pointing out faith. Bible, Bible puts that right here. I'm not talking about how smart I am. I'm not talking about how knowledge. I don't have a problem pointing out faith. Because my spirit's not going to, it's just not going to go. But Lord, you get in a service, let him come down on you and get on them people beside you. And they, that holy shout comes up from within. You cannot deny it. Look around and see what he's doing. That's what he was describing there. All right, let's go a little further. Verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and and Christ. The final proof, the final point of his message is that David himself, who they looked up to, said, He is risen. And he comes back to that. He started with David and he ends with David. He said, David said that he was going to be on every side, and now he finally comes back to that ascension. That was a problem. They, they were having trouble with that raised from the dead, that whole process. And so he took them using the word he started with it he give his testimony he give the testimony of those other peoples he let the holy spirit be a testimony to the people and then he comes back to the word of god one more last time and says now i'm about to make something click in you you know that's when we get in the word sometimes it just oh i did not get that until right now lord just made that real to me and it just wasn't there before. Maybe I didn't need it before. But right now, I got it. And so he goes back to that point and he says, He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. 
All right, now let's see what happens with them. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and unto your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. He gave them an opportunity to repent. As far as messages, it's really not that long of a message. I don't know how long he preached to them, but it's a pretty straightforward message. And so then he says, Repent. That's what you should do. You should repent. Verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day that were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Go from 150, 250 to now 3,000. That church grew quick. That's a real quick expansion project there they got to work on. They grew very, very quickly. You know, it's still possible today. That same thing is possible today. What's got to happen? Well, you got to have people who are willing to receive the Spirit, who are praying and seeking. <coughs> That's what you got to have. And then when the Spirit comes, they just mind the Lord. There's not a lot of tricks or magic here. There's not, you know, I got to be educated, I got to do this, or I got to do that. It's really not. It's an obedient people preaching the Word. This is a fisherman. Oh, this is a fisherman. Probably foul-mouthed. Not from good people. Not educated. He's a fisherman. And he's standing for me. And all he's doing is just declaring what the Word says and what he knows. That's all he's doing. Just declaring it. The Bible then says, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. All right. <coughs> Super fast. I've already went longer than I meant to go. Super fast. Signs of a healthy church. Signs of a healthy church. It's really important. It says they continued. First of all, this is an ongoing process. And if any one of us get out of the process, we will not stay healthy. It's a process. You don't feel good every single day. You don't feel on fire for the Lord every single day. Why? Because the devil's going to come along, the world's going to come along, you're carrying flesh around with you, and toting it around. Carry around the flesh. But we do. We have to carry around with it until the Lord takes it off of us. So what I'm telling you is, is that there is a continuance. There's a process. If you don't renew in the Lord, the devil will wear you down. Or you let that person between those ears, you wear you down. And you'll get in battles there. 
So it says, and they continued steadfastly. You have to have a determination. If a church does not have a healthy determination to serve the Lord and to share Him, if they don't have that continued steadfastness, that even though so-and-so didn't speak to me or shake my hand, I'm not going to get mad about it. I'm going to go back to, to the house the second time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just keep on anyway. If a church don't have that, you're not a healthy church. And let's just be honest. Most Christians have a problem right there. I hadn't even got into the rest of it where we get real spiritual and real knowledgeable. We can't be steadfast. Amen. Amen. We can be quiet on that. We can't. We, we get our feelings hurt. Too easy in the church house. But we... It says they continued steadfastly. Listen, this is worth standing for and worth standing on. It's worth it. Be steadfast in God. It says they continued steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine. Now, let's talk about what does that mean. You've got to remember, what has Peter been teaching? He's been teaching the Word of God to them. In other words, they took the Bible. They said, this is what we're going to believe and live on and stand on. It's not a doctrine unless you apply it to your life. That we get scared of that word doctrine. Doctrine is teaching that you then apply. If it just sounds good, but you don't do anything with it, that's not doctrine. You're not living by it. It's just teaching. So they took the words and said, these are good words. We're going to live on them. And they applied them into their lives. So they stood steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. We cannot ever miss that we must remain in good relationships with each other if we want to, Im to impact the world. Relationships are really important. And I can tell you as a pastor, it is so easy for the devil to just let Brian just make a foolish mistake or anything. Miss Burrow probably testify to this. And you can hurt somebody's feelings in a heartbeat and not mean it even. Not, not trying to. And just break fellowship with somebody just like, like I mean, just in a heartbeat. It's crazy to me, honestly. It's really crazy to me that I have so much influence as a pastor that if I just I just forgot that it was your birthday hey listen to me now this is fun it's, it's sad that somebody would get hurt I don't know if I told this story. Uh, a, a past, I think I might have, may have mentioned it Wednesday night. It's a good story. I'll tell it again. It's short. Another pastor, he pastors very close to here. He and I were having a conversation. And he started telling me a story about when he became the pastor at that church. He wanted to make sure that every high school graduate, he'd give them a Bible. 
And so he started, there was this practice. He said, but I had to catch up because I had, you know, I'd miss some people here because I, I just got there. So they just kind of started this. And he said, so for a year or two, you know, I'd give the high school graduate, but if you graduated from college or something like that, he, you know, make sure they got a Bible too because maybe they didn't get one earlier. He said, for kids that were graduating sixth grade, I would write them a letter of how proud I was of them just to encourage them. And I'd, and I'd call them up church and I'd give them that letter. So try being encouragement. So this particular year, his son <coughs> was finishing sixth grade. So he wrote the letter and he gave it to his son. Called him up there and told him how proud he was of him. At the end of church, he's standing at the door greeting people as they leave. A man and a woman come up to him and says, you know you didn't do that for my granddaughter. He said, I didn't do what? what? What did I not do? He said, you didn't give her a letter. And he says, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't realize that I had... Did, is she in sixth grade? <coughs> no. She finished sixth grade two years ago. For two years, it had been a, a wedge between this man, his wife, and not just the pastor, because you don't just put a wedge between you and the pastor, and the whole church. The pastor said, same thing that came to my mind, why didn't you tell me then? I could have fixed it then. I didn't do it on purpose. I'm sorry. Listen, he said every kind of apology he can say to him. Can he repair that? It's really up to them. Can I tell you, it is so important that we continue steadfastly in doctrine and fellowship. So here's the question. Did that, did that ever impact the Spirit? Did that ever impact the Spirit? The chances are 100% yes. Because you can't have animosity in fellowship and expect it not to do anything. Which then begs us to ask this question. Did that impact anybody's eternal soul? Think about it. One of the most important proofs is that the Spirit is working in the church. Are y'all seeing how important it is to have a healthy church? It goes on and he says, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Church, if we get those things right, we have a healthy church. Let's, let's finish this out. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There was an excitement going on in this church that it even they were so blessed 
Y'all got to see this picture. They were so blessed from God that they were also blessed from those outside. It says that everybody, everything was good with everybody. Last part that I'll bring up. You may say, well, should we do that today? Should we uh, sell all our stuff and give it to the church? And some people might all make a thing. Cult! Right? Because kind of kind of sounds cultish, right? So here's the difference. Here's the difference. The difference is they were right in God's will. And the challenge with doing it right now, if we said it now, we would be doing it backwards. I'm saying there is a time and place where you could sell all that you have and give it to the church and it'd be good. If, if the church gets all in one mind and one accord, and then it leads to that so that that could be a better way for God's ministry to impact people. But it better start with Him and the Spirit and not with the stuff and the money. If it starts with the stuff and the money, you're in a cult. Get out of that, okay? Because that's somebody who wants something. I, I mean, I'll just tell you right now, we're all good Christian people in this room. But if I start talking to you about bringing all your stuff together and selling it and, and then equally distributing it, there's a party that's going, I don't know if I trust everybody in this room. Right? The Spirit got them all in the same place at the same time. Then they were able to do that. The only way we would ever be able to do that is if we all 100% were giving what God gave us back to Him. That's an incredible place to be. And they were in that place. A church could get there. Any church. The church could get there. But it's going to take a really move of God for it to happen. Because there's so much of the world wrapped up in people. Because all of you may be wondering the same thing. Which one's the Judas? Hey Amen. I would. I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. Somebody in here is a taker. They're not a giver. Right? You'd be concerned about that. Oh, don't be casting lots now. <laughs> I see two candidates already. So, the church itself, first message, this is what I want you to leave with. The first message was Jesus Christ, Him crucified and Him resurrected. That's the first message. In other words, it's the primary message of the church. It's the message that we should still be sharing today. Anybody have any comments, thoughts, questions, whatever? If not, we love you. God bless you. Y'all have a great week. And uh, we'll see you back next time.